Okay, well, as we uh, begin this week, we're going to he- go ahead and uh, look one last time at question, <clears throat> excuse me, question 18 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And again, that question is, wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate whereunto man fell? And the answer, I won't press you on it this week, is uh, the sinfulness of that estate whereunto man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. And uh, again, this week we're going to be continuing to talk about actual sins, or as the Catechism puts it, um, actual transgressions that proceed from original sin. Actual sins, those uh, sins that we commit which flow from our corrupt nature, um, that is from our state of original sin in which we've all been born, come in many forms. And they have many qualities which characterize them. And rather than looking at all the particular sins that the Bible speaks about, um, lying and murder and lust and greed and the rest, what we're doing is looking at the various terms that identify certain characteristics of various sins. And we're looking at them in terms of uh, categories of emphasis. So, Last week we looked at terms emphasizing causes for sin, um, those issues dealing with uh, ignorance, with error, and with inattention. And today we'll be looking at terms emphasizing the character of sin. So as we look at uh, terms emphasizing the character of sin, we'll address... uh, First, uh, the category of missing the mark. The Hebrew word uh, kata and the Greek word hamartano refer to sin as missing the mark. The Hebrew verb and the related terms appear about 600 times in the Old Testament. And they mean miss or miss the way sin, or incur guilt, or similar types of of things. And it is uh, used literally in a couple of places. For instance, in Judges 20.16, says, Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And there is the word kata there. Also used uh, literally in Proverbs 19.2 where it says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. And so there again is the, the basic concept there. Now we might be inclined to think of missing the mark more in terms of a mistake rather than as a willful, conscious sin. Um, but as uh, Millard Erickson says, in the Bible, the word kata suggests not merely failure, but a decision to fail, a voluntary 
and culpable mistake. <clears throat> Another author notes that the he says, <clears throat> quote, the hundreds of examples of the, world, of the word's moral use require that the wicked man misses the right mark because he chooses to aim at the wrong one. And he misses the right path because he deliberately follows the wrong one. That is, there is no question of an innocent mistake or of merely, the merely negative idea of, of failure here. <clears throat> the word is used to refer both to actions against God and against man, but far more often it's used against God. Uh, one place that this is clearly seen is in Proverbs, third, or Proverbs 8, verse 36, where it says, but he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to compare this to the uh, New American Standard, where it says, but he who sins against me injures himself, and all those who hate me love death. So in this verse, we have a parallelism, uh, where the second part of the couplet magnifies the idea of the first. Here, love death corresponds to injures himself, and hate me corresponds to fails to find me in the ESV, or sins against me in the New American Standard. And here, by comparing these two translations, you can see um, the idea that to fall short or to fail in your responsibility to find and follow God is to sin against God. And that's why it can be translated either way there. And, uh, and then by the parallel to continue doing that is, is to show a hatred for God. Now, in regard to religious obligations, a form of kata uh, refers to a failure to observe God's laws. Uh, for instance, in Leviticus 4.2, it says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally, <clears throat> And in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them. Okay, so we've, we've seen this verse before, focusing on the unintentionally part with uh, the word shagah. But here, the word kata is sin. So we have the sinning unintentionally in regard to these religious obligations and the commandments of God. Also in Leviticus 5.16 uh, the word denotes action which gives less than is due. It's a failure of full duty. <clears throat> it says, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any part of the holy things of the Lord, he shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth of it and give it to the priests and the priest shall make atonement for him <clears throat> with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. Now in regard to actions against man, the use of the verb <clears throat> in 1 Samuel 19.4 shows 
um, a serious breakdown in personal relationship here. And here uh, it says, as Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. So, um, he says here that, that David has not fallen short, he has not missed the mark, he has not sinned in any way against Saul, and Saul should not uh, sin against him. And then we see um, here then that the falling short of what was required, what was just or righteous in that relationship, not on David's part, on Saul's part. <clears throat> and then in 1 Samuel 26, 21, we see Saul confess his failure this way. He says, then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And again, we've seen this verse before in regard to making a great mistake, which is, um, again, the, the term shagah. But here, kata translated, I have sinned, I have missed the mark, I have fallen short. Um, there's an interesting use of this word in regard to personal relationships in Genesis 43, verse 9, and Genesis 44, 32. And here this is the story of um, <clears throat> when Joseph is in Egypt, and um, there's a famine in the land, and the sons of Jacob uh, have gone to Egypt and uh, purchased food there, and then they've returned back home, and now they needed more food, and they, so Jacob wants them to go back to Egypt to get food. But Joseph, last time they, had, they were there, had warned them not to come back unless they brought the youngest brother, Benjamin, uh, with them. Because, of course, uh, Joseph missed Benjamin and wanted to see Benjamin. But Judah is here in this situation trying to persuade his father, Jacob, to let Benjamin accompany the brothers back to Egypt and Judah promises Jacob that he will be personally responsible for, for returning Benjamin safely. And so in uh, Genesis 43.9, he says, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. And there's the term there, bear the blame. <clears throat> so Judah says, if I fail to fulfill my promise, if I fall short, if I don't do what I say and fail to bring him back, then let me be the one to bear the blame. Let the failure be mine. Let the sin be on me. Um, and then we later have uh, in Egypt, after uh, Joseph had uh, made plans to keep Benjamin there um, by having his cup put in his bag and then having the cup found and Benjamin implicated in, in theft. So Joseph wants to keep Benjamin back and send his brothers back. <clears throat> and um, what happens here then, Judah explains to Joseph the promise that he had made to his father and offers 
to be Joseph's slave in Benjamin's place if, uh, if he will send Benjamin back to Jacob. <clears throat> so he says to Joseph in Genesis 44.3, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. And so the phrase, bear the blame, is, the, is a form of the verb kata. So here you see the blame or the guilt for the sin and the sin itself are essentially identified. The sinner becomes the bearer of the sin and of the blame. It is his, it belongs to him. Erickson observes that in Hebrew, the act and the evil consequences following the act are one and the same. And he says, sin is a heavy burden that one must bear. So it's not just the action of the sin, but it's the, the burden and the consequence as well uh, that is being conveyed here. <clears throat> the term is also translated both sin and sin offering. Um, and this is seen many times in, for instance, in Leviticus chapters 4 and 5. Uh, for example, Leviticus 4.3 says, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt upon the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. And the, the same word kata and a form of it is used in, in both of those places for sin and sin offering. The idea of bearing sin then uh, brings together these, these two concepts of the sin committed and of the uh, offering that is to be made for the sin. And we see this uh, connection explicitly in Leviticus 24.15 where it says, And speak to the people of Israel saying, Whoever curses God shall bear his sin. <clears throat> and in this case, the blasphemer is to be put to death. There is no substitute offering made for him. He bears his own sin and punishment. And then by contrast, we see this idea of bearing sin in the passage in Isaiah 53, dealing with the work of the servant of the Lord, our sin bearer, Jesus Christ. And it says in Isaiah 53:12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The righteous servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, has fulfilled all that is required in his relationship to God and to man. In no way did he personally sin. He never missed the mark in the slightest degree, but he bore our sin and our guilt was transferred to him and he became our sin bearer, carrying the guilt and shame of, that, that was ours and putting it to death as he made himself the sin offering on the cross. Now in the New Testament, the most common term for sin is 
<coughs> is hamartano, and the two noun forms, hamartia and hamartema. The uh, word family here constitutes the most prominent uh, terms for sin in the New Testament. It is used more frequently than any other terms, about 300 times. Um, this is the word most frequently used to translate kata in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And uh, likewise, in the New Testament, the meaning is to miss the mark because one aims at the wrong target. It emphasizes what actually occurs uh, rather than any motivation uh, for sinning or aiming wrong. <clears throat> the sin is always against God since it's a failure to hit the mark that he has set, his standard of perfect love for God and perfect obedience to him. We miss the mark and sin against God when we fail to love our brother, since if we truly love God, we will love our brother. And to miss the mark is always a culpable and blameworthy action. Uh, some well-known New Testament texts where the word is found are, sorry I didn't show you those, I'll give you a second if you want to, <clears throat> some of the well-known texts are Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew 18.15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's the category of, of missing the mark and the, the primary words related to that. The next category is that of irreligion. <clears throat> and there are basically three word groups that I want to talk about under this category of irreligion. And uh, these are all in the New Testament. The first group is the, uh, <clears throat> is the verb asabeo and the noun form asabei. I'm sorry, asabeia. Asabeia. And uh, the adjective as a base. Uh, and these are all related to the verb sebo, which means to worship or to reverence. Now, because they all have the alpha privative on, on the front there, they are related to the word sebo uh, by negation. So the verb means to be impious. Um, it means to... Uh, Act profanely or to be wicked. <clears throat> In contrast to, to this term, then, asabeo, uh, is the word yusabeo, um, which in 1 Timothy 5 4 is translated to show godliness. And there it says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So again, in contrast, the terms asabeo and its nouns and adjectives carry the idea of ungodliness, of impiety. And we see the noun 
used in Romans 1.18 where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there's ungodliness as a noun. The adjective is used in uh, 2 Peter 2.6 and Romans 5.6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them by, to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And then Romans 5.6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now we see all three forms together, the noun, the verb, and the adjective in one verse in Jude 15. <clears throat> and here it says to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So you have all three forms there in, in that verse. Now the next time we'll look at in this grouping of your religion is the term adakia, which means injustice or any unrighteous conduct. It is uh, contrasted with uh, decay or righteousness. <clears throat> and we see a form of decay in Second uh, Thessalonians 1.5 where it says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. And then a few verses later in verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. So here the idea is that of vengeance or of just payment, a penalty according to to a righteous standard of judgment. Um, so, <clears throat> adakia um, is the opposite idea of this. It is a failure to live up to the standard of righteousness or its behavior contrary to that standard of righteousness. A couple of quick examples of this. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then also 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And Colossians 3, 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. So here it's translated wrongdoer um, as, as a noun and, and uh, wrong, um, but this is the term adikio. Um, the next group of terms that we'll look at <clears throat> is not that common in the New Testament. Um, these words come from the Greek term meaning law, which is namas, and they are in one way or another a negation uh, of namas. The term can uh, simply refer to those who do not have the law, 
uh, specifically uh, the Mosaic Law. So that is uh, the Gentiles, it can refer to them. Uh, one example would be in 1 Corinthians 9, 21. It says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Or, as you see in the NAS, uh, those who are without the law, I became as one without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So that's, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so that is uh, the word there, uh, anomia being without the law. And in this sense, there is no uh, guilt, there's no culpability with this. It's not a sin per se to be anamas. Um, but uh, the term usually refers to lawbreakers in general, um, uh, including both Jew and Gentile. And examples of this would be 2 Peter 2.8. <clears throat> For as that righteous man, speaking of Lot, uh, lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Um, also 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And then one more, 1 Timothy 1.9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, and he goes on. <clears throat> so, um, anomia is used in the uh, synoptic gospels, uh, four times by Jesus, and they're all in Matthew. Matthew 7.23, he says, And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So that's anomia. Also, Matthew 13.41, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all, all lawbreakers. Uh, the other two occurrences are in Matthew 23, 28. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then Matthew 24, 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. In each of these cases... The violation of the law, <clears throat> I should say, the violation is of the law of God in the broad sense. Um, it's the law known to all people everywhere, even those who don't have the Mosaic law. Uh, in fact, this word is, never means, it's never used to mean a violation of the Mosaic law considered narrowly. Uh, Paul uses another word to indicate that. This, this word always means broadly um, and applies to all people. One scholar notes, <clears throat> whenever anomia is used, the concepts of law and judgment are present. And in the characteristic and more numerous instances, the reference is not to the Jewish law, 
but to anything and everything that any man knows that God has commanded. <clears throat> okay, so the next uh, category is that of transgression. And uh, the Hebrew word abar appears <clears throat> about 600 times in the Old Testament, and it means literally to cross over or to pass by. Uh, and it is almost always used in the literal sense. Uh, but it can also denote the idea of transgressing a command. And this can sometimes be the command of a, of a king, an earthly authority, um, as in Esther 3.3. But it usually refers to transgressing the Lord's commands. And one example of this would be Numbers 14, 41 to 42. Where it says, but Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? <clears throat> Do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. Um, in Deuteronomy 17.2, it refers to transgressing the covenant. And there it says, if there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing the covenant. Now in the New Testament, the term closest to this meaning, <clears throat> to this meaning is parabaino, parabaino and uh, the noun <clears throat> parabasis. And... Uh, we see um, the verb in Matthew 15, verses 2 to 3, where the uh, Pharisees challenge Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, but they do not wash their hands when they eat? And Jesus answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? <clears throat> and uh, the noun form of this is used in Romans 5, 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. <clears throat> so uh, these terms always uh, carry the implication that some law has been transgressed. And so Paul can say in Romans 4.15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. The term usually has direct reference to the Jewish law, and in this sense then it is different from anomia, which again is, is any <clears throat> transgression broadly considered. Um, so uh, let's look now at, uh, real quickly at the idea of sin as iniquity or lack of integrity. The Hebrew word aval has the basic meaning of deviation from a right course. It can carry the idea of injustice, of failing to fulfill a standard of righteousness, or it can be a lack of integrity. Uh, one example is Leviticus 19.15. You shall do no injustice. Um, some translate that as perversion. You shall not pervert justice in court. Uh, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. 
Um, we're going to move on and talk about uh, the next category, that of rebellion. <clears throat> and this is a prominent idea in Hebrew thought, uh, and we'll look at several words in this, in this connection. <clears throat> the first is pasha, and I'll just give the word and read one text with it. Um, this one is Isaiah 1-2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. <clears throat> Another Hebrew word is marah. A few verses later, Isaiah 1.20. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Very similar word to that is marad. And there's an example of this in Ezekiel 2.3. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to, nation, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me <clears throat> to this very day. So you have a noun and a verb form of that in Ezekiel. And the last Hebrew word we'll look at here is sarar. And this term carries the idea of stubbornness as well as of rebellion. Um, and this is seen in a couple of verses I have here. Deuteronomy 21.18 and Psalm 78.8. Deuteronomy says, If a man <clears throat> has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother... And though they discipline him, will not listen to them. I don't give you the consequences here, but it's not good. Um, <laughs> so listen up. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> excuse me. And then uh, Psalm seventy-eight eight says, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to God. <clears throat> now the New Testament also characterized sin as rebelliousness and disobedience. And key words here um, are apetheo and uh, apetheia as the noun. Um, and these can refer to uh, disobedience to parents, as in Romans 1.30, but it almost always refers to disobedience to God. Examples of this, the Jews failed to enter the promised land because of disobedience, Hebrews 3.18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And Hebrews 4.6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. So a couple of examples there in relation to the Jews. The Gentiles were also said to be disobedient. And here's a couple of texts there. Hebrews 11.31. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And 1 Peter 3.20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought, to, brought safely through water. 
And a um, couple more things here. In Ephesians 2.2 and Ephesians 5.6, Paul uses the phrase sons of disobedience to describe those who were separated from God in their sin. Ephesians 2.2 says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And Ephesians 5.6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, two more terms real quick in this category. Aphistemi, or aphistemi. This refers to those who fall away from the faith in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart, there's the word, uh, from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. And the other word is apostasia, uh, from which we get apostasy, and Paul uses this to speak of the final apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That's the ESV reading. The NAS says, until, unless the apostasy comes first. <clears throat> and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So, um, so those are then the words related uh, to disobedience uh, in, in the New Testament. So um, I'd wanted to try to cover some other categories as well, those of treachery, of perversion, and abomination. Um, but alas, we don't have time. So um, anyway, I hope, I hope in looking at this, uh, this is helpful to you to understand some of what the Bible teaches, Old Testament and New, in regard to the nature of, of these sins, um, uh, terms which in the English are very familiar, but understanding what's behind them can, can help us um, understand a lot better uh, what it is that, that we're doing when we're sinning, um, the way that the Lord sees these things, and, uh, and in understanding that, uh, prayerfully, by God's grace, we can um, <clears throat> find ourselves turning more and more away from sin and to the Lord. So um, that is uh, all we have time for. Next week, Will is going to be uh, discussing the unpardonable sin. Um, so uh, look forward to that. And uh, thank you for your attention. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, as we consider your word and the richness of terminology that you exploit to discuss the depravity of our sin is striking. Um, Father, it, it shows us once more just how little we really understand of, of the nature of our sin and uh, how you view it. Father, we do pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of these things, that we would have a, a godly perspective on these things, that we would be 
driven uh, in seeing our sin to, to Christ and to, to the salvation, to the forgiveness, to the cleansing uh, that is in Him. Um, and Father, that we would be uh, in being aware of these sins and these temptations to sin in our lives, that we would be uh, driven to the Spirit to rely upon Him to give us the strength, to give us the power to overcome and to put to death the manifold sins that uh, can so easily beset us. Father, we pray that you would do this in our lives more and more and help us uh, to encourage one another in these matters uh, so that sin can be uh, overcome with increasing uh, success and as an increasing reality in our lives and we can be a purified people eager to do what is right. Father, we ask this, that, that you would be glorified in and through us, and we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.